Hello and welcome to Africa Business News. We're wrapping up your top stories from across the continent this week and we hone in specifically on developments in South Africa and the kind of industry response the country's new mining charter has elicited. We catch up with the country's Mineral Council CEO, Roger Baxter, for that in just a bit. But before we get there... Let's check in on your news with Bronwyn. Thanks so much, Alicia. Well, the World Bank has slashed sub-Saharan Africa's growth forecast for this year. The bank is anticipating an expansion of 2.7% from a previous estimate of 3.1%. Earlier this year, it had predicted that a pickup in growth in the years leading up to 2015 would gain momentum. But the bank says a slower rate of recovery in Nigeria, Angola and South Africa has now dampened that outlook. To accelerate growth, the World Bank suggested that policymakers focus on reforms that encourage investment in non-resource sectors, generate jobs and improve the efficiency of firms and workers. Oil from the west of the continent is set, to, set for a surge in demand from Asia. That's according to Reuters. The news agency is reporting that shipments to Asia are expected to hit a two-month high in October. And that's as Chinese refineries seek alternatives to Iranian crude ahead of U.S. sanctions coming into effect next month. Loadings have been pegged at 2.52 million barrels per day. That's around 75% of total production from Nigeria, Angola, Republic of Congo, Ghana and Equatorial Guinea. Grades from the region usually produce a large proportion of high-value distillates such as diesel or jet fuel, which is said to be similar to Iranian crude oil, making it an attractive replacement. South Africa's Minerals Council has welcomed the new mining charter, but it has some reservations. The industry body has, amongst other things, expressed concern about procurement targets. The, tar the charter stipulates that 70% of goods and 80% of services must come from black-owned companies, a tough goal for mechanised mines that rely heavily on imported capital equipment. But despite this, the council has congratulated Mines Minister Gwede Mantashe, saying that the charter has struck a reasonable balance. Zambia's tax hike plans will hurt the nation's copper industry. That's according to the country's Chamber of Mines. Zambia's finance ministry recently proposed tax increases for the sector to assist in tackling the country's mounting debt, which came in at $9.3 billion in June. The plan includes a 1.5 percentage point hike in the sliding scale for royalties and the introduction of a 10% tax when the price of copper exceeds $7,500 per tonne. But the chambers warned that the plan, which has already seen some firms scrap expansion plans in the country, will cut copper output and see several mines become unprofitable. Kenya's eyeing an increase in tourism earnings this year, and that's on the back of an anticipated rise in visitor arrivals. Nearly 1.5 million tourists visited the East African nation in 2017, which helped the country rake in $1.1 billion. Kenya's tourism minister expects earnings to be up to 15% higher this year and says that forecast is based on growing local market and new daily direct flights to New York by Kenya Air. Kenya Airways, which should see arrivals grow by around 17 to 18 percent. 
and Marriott International is looking to leverage off increased tourist arrivals as well. It plans to double the number of hotels it has in Africa in the next five years. The firm says it signed a deal with partners to increase operations in Ghana, Kenya and South Africa. And this will put it on track to grow its portfolio by 50% to boast over 200 hotels by 2023. Marriott is also planning an entry into Mozambique. Global, global hotel chains have been increasing their investment on the continent in recent years in a bit to capitalize on improved travel links, which has boosted demand. Marriott's announcement follows recent comments from Accor Hotels that it has earmarked $1 billion for its Africa expansion. So that's just a look at some of your news. Alicia, I give it back to you as we'll be catching up on more of the detail of the mining charter after the break. That's right, Bronwyn. Of course, after the break, we take a closer look at the details of that South African mining charter that Bronwyn's highlighted with the country's Minerals Council. So stay with us. Welcome back to Africa Business News. The mining industry on the continent has had to deal with regulatory changes in several jurisdictions. Tanzania, for example, recently introduced changes to the sector, which has resulted in increased royalty rates and a new clearance fee charged on the export of minerals, moves that have dampened investor confidence. But Tanzania hasn't been the only country to enforce stricter rules. The DRC has drafted a new mining code, which it believes will allow for more transparency. But the mining industry there is unsupportive of that document too. And then here at home, our own mining charter has been released with the Minerals Council of South Africa saying that it's accepted it with a few reservations. We caught up with the industry body's CEO, Roger Baxter, for a look at South Africa's mining charter and if this version will in fact spur investment. This is a charter that is the product of substantial engagement. Um, you know, Minister Mantash has really gone out of his way to make sure that he engages with all stakeholders, uh, often leading the discussions and often in a very robust fashion, which I think has been very constructive because I think it was important to be frank in these discussions and get, uh, you know, the real outcomes that are necessary to put in place solutions that would work for all stakeholders. So our views, we've got a, you know, this transformation journey and this competitiveness promotion journey uh, is a long-term journey. This is just one component of it, the Charter. We've got the MPRD Amendment Bill that's been withdrawn, and that's very important to, uh, in this journey of creating much more regulatory and policy certainty, uh, taking us in that direction. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that there are not negatives in there that mm -hmm. we need to look at, but uh, on broad balance, compared to the Charter that we had a year ago, uh, this is a much better improvement. Compared to the June uh, draft, better, but there are a couple of areas that we still remain concerned Right, about. so you've raised some concerns, and chief amongst those concerns, as I highlighted that at the top targets that have been set as far as procurement is concerned. Why is it so problematic? Well, I think you must separate procurement into the BE element and the local content element. It's the local content element which is a challenge for us. So we've got no difficulty with uh, trying to meet the uh, BE requirements. Um, so on capital goods, a 60% local content requirement is quite tough, especially when you're importing a very large-scale 300-ton dump trucks from companies like Lab here, Caterpillar, Komatsu, etc. So uh, what we're suggesting is that, you know, we, we, we're not sure the government or ourselves have a really clear idea of what's possible or what's not. And it would be far better to have 
uh, a decision based on, on sound science. So do the work, investigate what we have in place now, and then what the companies can do to push the procurement, the local content target over time. We have no problem with the local content target mm -hmm. and growing that over time because we want to encourage local manufacturing. But uh, so that's a big issue on, on the. And that's exactly what my next question was going to be. You know, uh, what would be a better way of tackling something like pr uh, local procurement, where I guess in principle one can see exactly uh, what the DMR is looking to achieve with this in a to stimulate economic uh, intent because it is very much a noble cause. But as you say, you still very much investigating what is possible amidst it all. So I think the key issue here is no problem with putting in place a, a workable, practical target, making it a bit of a stretch target over time, but it's got to be based on sound science. And uh, so our particular viewpoint on this one is we want to encourage local content, um, but let's do it on practical targets. And, uh, and that'll be one of the points we raise with the minister. Okay. The other uh, concern you've raised is, uh, you know, around clarity on the obligations placed on mining uh, companies to secure their mining and exploration licenses. What clarity exactly are you after on that front? Well, I think the big issue is that, um, you know, I think, first of all, there's two there's two different elements. One element is related to the fact that you've got smaller companies, uh, the thresholds that have been set for smaller companies, particularly emerging and junior miners, is too low mm -hmm. in terms of exemptions. But in terms of the um, issue around um, continuing consequences applying to um, uh, renewals, uh, so we've got a, a continuing consequences recognition for existing right holders. That's companies that have done BE deals in good faith. Their BE partners have exited. Those companies then not being penalized for having done the right thing. But we still think that there's unfinished business in the discussion on renewals. And we, you know, that's an area which will be focused on uh, in our engagements with the minister. How open do you think uh, Minerals uh, re uh, Resources Minister Gwede Mantasha will be to listening to these concerns, the points that you are unhappy with? I think the point of departure, yeah, the minister's been prepared to engage um, constructively, robustly on different components. So not, you know, no one ever is ever going to get exactly what they want because if you walk away from agreement, you know, getting 100% of what you want, uh, the other parties are not going to get what they want and it's not really a, a, a workable agreement. So our perspective is let's engage the minister, let's uh, see what his thinking is and uh, ultimately what we need is practical solutions. So too early to call whether you'd be taking this to court if that engagement process doesn't heal the results you're after. You know, listen, uh, court action is always a last resort in our view. I mean, last year we did have four different court cases uh, involving the department. That was under a different time with a different minister who had a, a different nefarious agenda, which I think, uh, and our view on standing up against unethical leadership at that time, I think has been vindicated. Um, right now, I think our focus is on making sure we engage uh, constructively and properly and try and get outcomes that are workable, and uh, we'll approach it on that particular basis. Okay, you talk about these improved relations between uh, uh, business or, or the industry and government itself. What about labor? Have, how much of a shift has been triggered in that regard? I think, uh, you know, the minister has been engaging with all the stakeholders. So, you know, I've been in so many different meetings w with him, uh, whether it be the mining summit where there were some 1,500 people involved or whether it, uh, you know, has been the specific um, labor, uh, industry, government principles meetings involving maybe 30 people in a meeting. Uh, and all those meetings have been um, ex exceptionally good from the perspective that everyone's been able to air and view their particular perspectives. And he's given people the opportunity to engage, express their views, and then they've had to make a decision. Ultimately, government has the you know, has to make the call on what's going to work in the situation. And so I think uh, Labour have, uh, have certainly participated constructively in those discussions at the same time. As you say, this is, uh, broadly speaking, a step in the right direction. It doesn't necessarily see the taps open when it comes to investment, though. What are your members saying about making investments in South Africa's mining sector now? Alicia, we've surveyed our members 
If South Africa got back into the top 25% of investment destinations globally, we're currently sitting in the bottom half. We ranked 48th out of 91 countries. Um, and if we were sitting in the top 25%, uh, we'd basically be about position 22. If we were there, our members have indicated that they would grow investment over and above their existing spending plans by about 122 billion, which is an 84% improvement. So getting the policy environment right to promote both competitiveness and transformation and get us back into the top 25% is going to unlock uh, some significant growth potential. But obviously, let's not be too hasty in terms of saying how quickly it will feed mm -hmm. through into jobs because mining is a long-term business. You know, you've got to have deep pockets. They are long, cold um, winters, very short, hot summers. And one's got to focus on just making sure we get the industry back on track, get the industry investing, particularly at the exploration level. Yeah. And that's where we leave things with you for this week's episode of Africa Business News. We're back same time, same place next week. From me, Alicia Seckham and the rest of the team, it's goodbye until then.